Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real. Newcastle Libraries can be accessed from wherever you live with the Newcastle Library app. Put borrowing at your fingertips. I invite you to close your eyes and imagine. Imagine that there are no buildings, no roads, no cars, just the trees, plants, animals and the very first storytellers of this land, the Awabakal and Waramai people. I acknowledge them as the traditional custodians of this beautiful land in which we live. Welcome to the Treasures from the Rare Book Room podcast. Newcastle Library's Heritage Collection contains more than 440,000 items in various formats from mayoral portraits and snowballs plate glass negatives to the original Menzies Declaration and the Creer and Berkeley Archive of Subdivision Maps. A wide range of Newcastle's stories are presented in the Library's Heritage Collection. Join us as we explore one piece from the Library's fascinating Rare Book Room. Welcome to Love Lambton series as part of Treasures from the Rare Book Room with local historian and author Julie Keating and Robert Watson. Julie has written many books on the suburbs of Newcastle and is a second generation Lambton resident. This chat is inspired by the love of Lambton community for their suburb and its ongoing longevity. They'll be joined by Kerry Shaw our Heritage Collections and Digitalisation Specialist at Newcastle Libraries. Post Office. The first postmaster, Daniel Jones, was appointed prior to 1871. He was replaced by Evan Davies, who ran the postal service until his death, and then his wife took over as postmistress. They operated the service from their home in Granger Street. An expansion of services occurred in 1875 when telegraphic services commenced. The first telegraphic message was sent by Alderman Maddock. He chose to repeat the first message that was sent from Sydney to England upon the opening of the line between New South Wales and the Old Country. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. Residents began to agitate for a purpose-built facility and a site at the corner of Dixon and Moorhead Streets was chosen. Issues about the site's suitability were raised when it was discovered that there was an underground water tank on the site. This prevented the foundations being laid, and a decision was made to move the building to the opposite side of the road. However, again there were issues. This time, four water tanks were uncovered. Once again, Plans were revised to have the building near the site originally proposed. The Post and Telegraph Office was built in the Victorian Italian architectural style. It is characterised by having a low-pitched roof, decoratively painted cement-rendered walls, ornamented arched windows, and a veranda with lacework. The building is set on foundations of concrete with a basement of Piermont stone. The substantial building is one of the most iconic buildings in Lambton, with its aesthetic facade visible from almost every vantage point in the suburb. The building was erected over a period of 18 months and opened in 1884, when Lambton was only 20 years young. A testament to the wealth and importance of the township, and an expression of faith in its future. 
1997, the post office business moved to the news agency in Elder Street and the building was sold. Still remaining on the front wall is the Lambton Post Office Roll of Honour. This was erected in World War I by the Ladies' Anzac Committee as a memorial to Lambton soldiers who died on active service. The well-maintained building is now home to an insurance broking firm and is an enduring ornament in the townscape of Lambton. The Newcastle Morning Herald and Miners Advocate, in reporting the opening of the post office in June 1884, was quite justified in saying, The building as a whole is one of the most handsome and substantial of its class in the Northern District and, to all appearances, will stand for centuries. John Stoker Hotels were a significant part of early coal mining townships. Apart from their obvious aspect of a place to consume liquor, hotels provided facilities for visitor accommodation, stabling of horses, a venue for travelling salesmen to hawk their wares, a space for social gatherings, political meetings and much more. In 1865, John Stoker arrived in Lambton from the New South Wales goldfields and opened the Gold Miners Arms Hotel on the northeast corner of Elder and Granger Streets. As well as being one of the first hotels in Lambton, it attained significance in the community due to a substantial addition made in 1869 and reported in the paper. Mr Stoker himself is going to extend his premises by building an assembly room sufficiently large to contain 500 people. Such an edifice is very much wanted here, as there is not, at present, any place in the township, chapels excepted, able to contain 150 persons. The large upstairs hall was used regularly for public meetings of all kinds, such as the nomination for the first council election in 1871, and a coronial inquest into the death of two men at Lambton Colliery in 1878. The hall was variously known as Stoker's Hall, Stoker's Long Room, and eventually as Druids Hall, because the United Ancient Order of Druids used it as their regular meeting place. One of the more unusual gatherings took place early in 1880, when 200 spectators gathered to witness a porridge-eating contest. The contestants, James Bibby and Geordie Penman, actively trained in the lead-up to the event. Bibby walked daily between Lambton and Newcastle, while Geordie has also been hard at work, reducing his superfluous fat by taking long spins in a sweating rug. He's now down to his proper eating weight and will continue to give his stomach moderate exercise only until the great event. He is confident of his ability to maintain the honour of old Scotland against the alien. He feels the responsibility of his position and swears he will burst rather than allow canny Scotland to suffer the disgrace of one of her sons being beaten by a Staffordshire man. In 1871, John Stoker changed the hotel's name to the Gold Miners' Home. This was a largely irrelevant change, for such was the association between pub and publican that everyone referred to the place as Stoker's Hotel. This continued even years after Stoker ceased to run the hotel in 1885. The importance of hotels in mining communities is evident by the fact there were 22 hotel licences granted during the time Lambton Municipal Council was in existence. The largest number of hotels operating at any one time occurred in 1881 when there were 16 hotels. Many of these were located in Elder Street between Granger and Moorhead Streets. 
Today, three hotels operate in the suburb. The Northumberland, the Lambton Park Hotel and the Mark. The Northumberland opened in 1866 and was the second hotel in Lambton. It still operates today from the same site and under the same name. The Exchange Hotel opened in 1881 and kept that name for over a hundred years until becoming the Lambton Park Hotel in 1985. The Mark Hotel in Dixon Street was formerly the Marker Salon. Lambton Park Memorial Gates We sometimes think of war memorials as edifices erected after a conflict to honour the fallen. The Lambton Park Memorial Gates indicate a wider purpose, as evidenced by the name of the group who erected the gates, the Send-Off and Welcome Home Committee. The Great War had been fought for little over a year when Henry Berg and Thomas Pease called a public meeting in September 1915. The aim was to form a committee to provide a send-off for those going to the front and to welcome home wounded and invalided soldiers. The group resolved to present each enlisting soldier with an inscribed wallet on his departure and a gold medal on his return. At a farewell function early in 1917, Mayor Edward Charlton announced plans to erect gates as a roll of honour at the park. With an estimated cost of £250, fundraising efforts ramped up with dances, concerts, euchre parties and sports days being held, mostly organised by the ladies on the committee. Plans for the gates progressed when Newcastle architect Eric Yeomans agreed to be the honorary architect. On the 19th of October 1918, a large crowd gathered in Lambton Park for the ceremonial laying of the foundation stone. Mr John Estelle MP addressed the crowd, then placed into a bottle a parchment with the names of 39 members of the committee, a number of coins, and together with a copy of the Newcastle Morning Herald from August 1914, containing the proclamation of war. The bottle was sealed and placed into the cement foundation over which the stone was laid. The mayor then presented Mr Estelle with an engraved gilt trowel. The contractors, Messrs Meldrum and Markey, are making good progress with the erection of the honour roll gates. The committee have worked hard to raise the funds, and although they are not quite sufficient in hand to cover the cost of the memorial, they anticipate having no difficulty in raising the balance required on the day of the opening ceremony. The aldermen feel they are under an obligation to make the surroundings of the park worthy of the gates and propose to erect a new fence the full length of Moorhead Street boundary, the cost of which will be provided for by an additional half penny in the general rates for the current year. The gates were finally completed with the addition of two small kangaroos which were placed on top of the central pillars. At the time, these kangaroos were described as being made from bronze, but apparently they were instead made from imitation stone. Some thoughtless youths of the community have made a target for the stone throwing of the imitation stone kangaroos, which grace the top of each gate pillar. They have succeeded in almost smashing off the tail of one figure. Another missile has chipped a piece out of the marsupial's hip. Given their construction material being prone to weathering 
and an easy target for vandalism, it seems likely that the kangaroo's condition deteriorated and they were quietly removed. In recent times, the kangaroos were reinstated. Bronze replicas, based on the original statues, were made and installed prior to the Anzac Commemoration Service at the Lambton Park Memorial Gates in 2017. George Sturry. Who was George Sturry? His name is one of 140 engraved on the Lambton Park World War I Memorial Gates and one of 29 shown as killed in action. To acknowledge the centenary of the gates in 2019, Lachlan Wetherill compiled information on the soldiers listed on the pillars. The identity of most of the men, including all but one of those listed as killed, were confirmed. While newspapers were filled with reports of Lambton boys enlisting, departing and returning, there was but one scant reference to George Sturry. In July 1918, the local newspaper stated, Mrs Hinks of Pearson Street, Lambton has received word that Private George Sturry has died of wounds. Searching the records, Wetherill could find no trace of Sturry. In researching other soldiers, I had found numerous errors with the gate inscriptions. Perhaps Sturry was a misspelling, or maybe an anglicised form of a German surname. Searching every possible name variant I could think of revealed nothing. Eventually, after a page-by-page study of the embarkation rolls in the records of the SS Port Napier, I located Salvatore Storelli of Lambton, a surname that Australians would naturally shorten to Sturry. Confirmation came from the Red Cross, Wounded and Missing Files, where a soldier reporting on Storelli's death recalled, We used to call him George. On his enlistment papers, dated September 1916, it was noted that Sturley was from southern Italy and was 22 years of age. Prior to joining the army, he had worked on ships sailing in Australian waters and then as a bricklayer's labourer whilst living in Lambton. In order to enlist, he had become an Australian citizen and took the oath of allegiance on August 1, 1916. Sturley died on the 21st of June 1918 on the Somme battlefield when a German artillery shell hit the cooktop he was serving in. His fellow soldiers described him as a short, dark, curly-headed chap who was very popular. An Italian-born immigrant to Australia, killed on French soil, alongside the British in a war against Germany, Sturley stands as an example of why the 1914-18 conflict was aptly named a world war. The Welsh Congregational Church At Minmai, after a period of torrential rain in 1864, a fissure opened beside Black Creek. The contents of the creek poured in and the colliery below flooded. All the miners managed to escape, but the pit was closed for months afterwards. Forced to look elsewhere for employment, a group of Welsh miners moved from Minmai to work the newly opened colliery in Lambton. The men belonged to the Welsh Congregational Church under the leadership of Reverend Evan Lewis. A simple wood slab church facing Divider Street was built, and as this soon proved to be too small for services, the miners erected another larger wooden chapel facing Dixon Street. The uncertainty of mining meant that most buildings in Lambton at that time were of a similar primitive and temporary character. In 1868, however, 
the Welsh miners expressed confidence in Lampton below to match their assurance in God above. They decided that a new building, worthy of its great purpose, should be built of stone mined from a quarry on Newcastle Road in the vicinity of Granger Street. A deputation interviewed the manager, asking permission to open the quarry, and it was freely granted. In order to save expense, we bound ourselves to one another and quarried the stones, bringing them to the site free of charge. We worked hard and remained true to each other, without a hitch. I'd need not mention that it was a big contract for about seven or eight men. Some of the men quarried the stone, others wheeled it to the site, and many, after their shift ended at the pit for the day, put in several hours in building the edifice. One of the workers was Mr. J. Parry, who, though then a coal miner, had originally been a stonemason. Reverend Lewis had arrived from Wales in 1864 to conduct services for miners at Minmai, Wallsend and The Junction. Five years later, he accepted the invitation to provide services for Lambton miners and he moved to the town. He lived in a two-storey weatherboard building in Elder Street and to support his family, conducted a successful tailoring and drapery business from the site. An advertisement in 1875 listed the following items for sale and services provided. The millinery department will be found replete with all of the newest styles in ladies, maids and children's trimmed and untrimmed hats. An experienced milliner engaged. Wedding and morning orders attended to with the utmost care and dispatch. In the gentlemen's ready-made clothing department will be found all the newest styles in coats, vests and trousers. The hat department is now better assorted than ever with the latest fashions in men's, boys and youth's hats and caps. Above the front porch of the stone church is an engraving in Welsh. Bethel, Carpel, Uni Bernol, Udi La Duwid, and Odomini, Milwith, Canthwainigwith. It translates as Bethel Independent Chapel, built AD 1868. The building ceased to be used as a place of worship in 1977, when the Congregationalists merged with the Uniting Church. The 150th anniversary of the stone building was celebrated in 2018. The building stands today as an enduring legacy to the faith of those Welsh miners, even in troubled times past. Lawson Crichton Lawson Crichton was born near Glasgow in Scotland in 1854. He ended his days in Lambton in 1906 as one of the town's most prominent citizens. Crichton arrived in Australia in 1875 and soon gained a position as assistant at the Hamilton Cooperative Store. Five years later, he was appointed manager of the Lambton Cooperative Store, situated on the northeast corner of Pearson and Granger Streets. Cooperative stores were important in mining towns. Employment in the mining industry was irregular, and in times of unemployment, miners still had to support their families. Cooperative stores were set up to support the miners. By joining the society, miners could purchase goods, and they obtained rebates depending on how much they purchased. An interesting contrast in how some things change while others stay the same can be seen from a close look at a photo taken by Ralph Snowball in 1898. The signs on the store are instructive. One advertises Cadbury's chocolate, still widely enjoyed today, while another promotes bile beans for biliousness, a product thankfully lost in history. Bile beans were a completely fraudulent product first sold in Australia in 1897. 
The product was heavily marketed with pseudoscientific validation as a cure for all kinds of maladies. A court in Edinburgh on the 20th of July 1906, ruling on a complaint from the manufacturers of bile beans about another company using the name, makes it pretty clear that bile beans were an elaborate scheme. The British Medical Journal of the 28th of July 1906, reporting on the court's judgment, noted... Bile beans were said to be made of an Australian vegetable substances discovered by a Charles Ford. The place of discovery, the mode of it, and the instrument of it were all deliberate inventions without any foundation in fact. The truth was that the complainers, the bile bean manufacturing company, had formed a scheme to palm off onto the public a medicine obtained from America, and they created a demand by flooding the country with advertisements, placards, pamphlets, and imaginary pictures. The complainers desired protection from the name bile beans, but being themselves engaged in perpetrating a fraud upon the public, they were not entitled to any such protection. Bile beans continued to be marketed aggressively and sold throughout the world, with its supposed benefits morphing over time. At various times they were claimed to cure an astonishing number of ailments, including indigestion, constipation, headache, female weakness, pimples, anemia and influenza. Lawson Crichton was active in many local institutions including the fire brigade, cricket club, football club and several friendly societies and lodges. From 1899 to 1902, he was also a key member of the Lambton Citizens Committee. These were years when Lambton Council ceased to operate, having been bankrupted by the failed electric light scheme. The Citizens Committee, under the leadership of Crichton, became the de facto local government, looking after sanitation, drainage and street repairs until the council was reinstated in 1903. Lawson Crichton died at his residence in Pearson Street on the 2nd of July 1906, aged just 52 years. The following day, a funeral procession left his home and wound through the streets of Lambton. The impressively large attendance from the many groups he was associated with, a fitting testament to the high regard he was held in the community. Thanks so much for listening to the Treasures from the Rare Book Room podcast. To access and browse Newcastle Library's collections, please visit our website at newcastle.nsw.gov.au slash library. To view our heritage collection, just Google Hunter Photo Bank. The online collection is constantly being added to as items are digitised and loaded, so be sure to visit often. This has been a Newcastle Library's Real Production.